Hello, this is Dr. Nancy O'Reilly, and you are listening to Conversations with Smart, Amazing Women. Each week, we bring to you a woman who can help you to succeed in some aspect of your life. Now, if you're a regular listener, you know I've welcomed women who are experts in everything from health and fitness to building a worldwide business. So I'm excited about these women, and they've inspired me, and I've invited them to co- help me co-author a book. And I'm so excited. It's finally going to be released. It's called Leading Women, 20 Influential Women Share Their Secrets to Leadership, Business, and Life. The exciting part is you can order it. You can pre-purchase it now both on Amazon and Barnes & Noble websites. And it's going to be released in December. What a wonderful Christmas present for one of your friends or our family members. Today, though, I'm pleased to welcome back one of these amazing co-authors. Dr. Vivian Diller is a clinical psychologist in private practice in New York City. Her specialty in uh, in psychology is the psychology of aging in today's culture and how that affects our self-esteem. And again, this is my research, Women Speak, all about how women experience aging in our society. Her chapter in the book is called, in Leading Women, is called The Beauty Paradox. And it's based on some of the information in her book, which she co-authored with Michelle Wellens, Face It, What Women Really Feel Is Their their Looks Change. Now, that's available also in paperback worldwide. So I'm excited to welcome Leading Women co-author Dr. Vivian Diller to Conversations with Smart, Amazing Women. And it's so good to talk with you again. Hi, Vivian. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Vivian is returning, and she is one of our co-authors for the Leading Women book, and so excited to have you here. But this 30 minutes is about you. So as I always say, the most important person is you, because your story is so very valuable to so many women. And I know I've said this a thousand times, but women tend to look at other women and think, you know, especially if they're successful, if they're attractive, they seem to have their acts together, that somehow it's easy for them. But but we, you and I both know that's not the case. So when we share our stories uh, with one another, we realize that, you know, we've had to go through certain trials and tribulations in our lives to be who we are today. So if you don't mind, let's share yours because Absolutely. Um, it's so important what you're doing now. Uh, my contribution to this uh, area of empowering women truly does start uh, prior to being a psychologist. Um, I was a professional ballet dancer. I studied with the Joffrey in New York City. I then went to the Cincinnati Ballet Company. And uh, I spent my, you know, young, uh, my adolescence and young adulthood really focused on being a professional ballet dancer. And like many dancers and athletes, um, I had a career-ending injury. Uh, and that was the beginning of a journey which helped me understand that to focus completely or so much on my body and perfecting my body uh, left me with this deep hole that I had to fill. I, uh, my natural instinct was to do something else with my body, so I, um, 
uh, became a model with Wilhelmina. Just sort of fortunately, I was trying to get my education going because, you know, as a dancer, you don't yeah. uh, really focus on education. So uh, I was modeling with Wilhelmina during the day, going to school at night. Uh, and while I was doing that, I realized I have a pretty unusual opportunity to help women whose careers are youth-oriented that naturally come to an end and what happens. Um, so I, at that point, already knew that I wanted to do something with that experience. I didn't know how it was going to turn out, but I decided to uh, pursue a Ph.D. in psychology. I was uh, going to school around modeling because I had to support myself, uh, but I wrote my dissertation on that topic. And as I hit my um, 30s into 40s, I realized this was not just about models and dancers. This was about women in general. And what I mean by this being that at some point, every woman faces a moment, I call it an uh uh-oh moment, when they Uh realize their attachment to their youthful bodies and appearance needs to begin to change. You know, it could be a first gray hair. It can be the um, wrinkles that keep coming, or it can be that moment when uh, someone passes your desk and they look at your children and they say, oh, what lovely grandchildren you have. Uh, (laughs) And every woman, as I was watching my peers, was uh, struggling with how to come to terms with the feeling that their looks were changing and that it shouldn't matter. That was what I was, uh, the dilemma that, that I thought that so tough, many women were feeling uh, at that age. That, yeah, and that's, that's a tough one. There's no doubt about it. That's a tough one. I think, I, I think you, you were saying that, and I was just thinking, I, I think, uh, I, I, think I, I was actually sitting in a session as a psychologist talking to a young woman probably about similar topics and found my first chin hair. <laughs> ah, hairs come I, where they never came I, before. <laughs> and I remember thinking, you know, and it, it startled me, and it, you know, it was kind of like, oh my gosh, and and it was like, I, all I could think of, you know, and I really, really had to focus was that I needed to go and look at this thing and and see what it was, even though I knew instinctively, and even though I knew what it was, but. But again, it's there are those aha moments or those things that occur for women that all of a sudden you go, you know what, I'm I'm not there anymore. I'm not there. You know, I'm I'm living out in California now, and and uh, you know I've talked to young women who who basically have said to me at age 25 that basically they're done. You know, as far as their looks, as far as their ability to model, as far as their ability to act, and it's not just. I mean, it's it's happening at, at almost a younger and younger age for some of these women, isn't yes. it? Yes, so this is the thing. Uh, the focus so much has been on anti-aging, meaning yeah. we are supposed to, in some way in our culture, uh, stop the hands of time. Women have been given the message that uh, at all costs, for professional and personal reasons, one should do everything possibly they can to not look their age. And yet so many of us, especially us baby boomers, were brought up to believe that looks should take a backseat to everything else. In other words, looks shouldn't matter. 
and that if you're focused on your appearance, that you're being superficial and you're betraying your feminist forebears. So what I felt as a psychologist who had been in a world where looks were so important, with psychologists who were saying looks shouldn't be important, because that's what you hear mostly, the insight should count, I felt somewhere in the middle there, we need to, as women who actually do care about our appearance, but maybe don't care about it the way our culture is telling us we should, there's got to be some middle ground where powerful, strong, educated women can say, I don't want to stop my aging experience. I don't want to turn back that clock and wipe away all those years that I've worked so hard to gain experience. But I want to find a way to redefine what it means to be attractive for my age. And so when you felt that hair going out of your chin and you're a psychologist, (laughs) on some level, I'm sure in your mind was, this shouldn't matter to me so much. I mean, I'm not being valued for what I look like. And yet there's a party that says, damn, my, that hair on my chin is bothering me. Why does it bother me? Yeah, well, for yeah. hundreds and thousands of years, those looks really did matter to you. And yeah. for hundreds and thousands of years, that was the role women played. So it's not going to just disappear because our roles have expanded so, so much. We can do many, many more things. We just have to figure out what role looks play in our lives as we go into our 50s and 60s and 70s. So that's what made me write my book and wanted to contribute to the chapter in here, which is that women are pulled in a kind of complicated opposite directions. I call it the beauty paradox. And we've got to resolve that paradox to comfortably move into a a new way of thinking about our appearance that isn't defined by our culture, isn't defined by the beauty industry, but also isn't in some way a feminist retracted position that looks should not matter at all. Yeah, and you know, for, for me, I, I again a lot of the things that I have done personally is to be a role model, to be a mentor to my own daughters and now my own granddaughters, and and I already see the struggles that they're you know that they're experiencing. So it's again generationally is how we can begin to help women, not only ourselves, but help girls and young women as they yes. as they go down this. this So let me tell you another thing. Um, I think you're absolutely right that I think it's partly how we manage our own aging experience, but also how that impacts the younger generation. We know from statistics that they take on this sort of thing that 8 out of 10 young women uh, don't like their bodies. About 50% by the age of 10 say they feel fat. The use of the digital alteration of photography in magazines and in media has really given an impression that there is a way to be attractive and it requires perfection. So as role models, and especially as we enter an age where perfection um, becomes increasingly difficult, (laughs) starting 25, I mean, I I really think that this starts young enough where women in their 20s going into 30s need to be passing on to their young, very young children that every age and stage needs to have a a kind of definition of what it means to be attractive. And what is attractive in 20s and 30s can be different in their 40s and 50s. And the more I look around and see that there are an increasing number, by the way, there used to be a handful of these people, like the, you know, 
a couple of Meryl Streep's in the world. Now they're increasing. But the women who are in their 60s and 70s who are gracefully moving into that stage of life rather than those role models that were terrifying, you know, the, the role models of people who had done really distorted things to their bodies and faces, that's what made the women in their 20s and 30s be so anxious. They didn't see alternatives. You either yeah. let yourself go or you did radical changes. That's beginning mm-hmm. to change, and I think it's, it's filtering all the way down so that even young children and you know, teenage girls are beginning to see that you can be attractive and vital and active without having to be panicked as you, you know, go into those later years. But again, Vivian, what you're saying, though, and I agree, is that we we definitely have to be cognizant of our own particular views on the beauty paradox and how it affects affects us individually. You know, I know we talk a little bit about personally where we are in our own age group, but as far as our daughters and and our granddaughters, uh, they're affected by so many things that the more that we can assist them and help them to understand, it's it's very important. You know, my my daughter was buying all of her daughter's princess hats. You know, so, and I remember I was in the, we were at the park or someplace, and she almost unconsciously walked over, and she has three beautiful little girls, and she walked over and she picked out three pretty pink princess hats. And it was, it was such an unconscious, you know, kind of a, a, a automatic thing that she was doing that, I mean, I stopped her later and I said, you know, did you even think about what you were doing when you bought princess hats? She goes, she goes no, they're, they're cute and they're pretty and, and they love it. You know, at that time they were really into the princess because Frozen, everything is about princesses. I mean, Well, I mean, the girls. most popular Halloween costume this year is the character from Frozen. Oh, yeah. And uh, that character, if you have, I've seen it with my granddaughter, is uh-huh. shaped like a, you know, the smallest waist, the, you know, impossible, yeah, again, perfect. Little, it's, it's Disney, it's Barbie, you know, it's got yes. the whole Barbie thing going so on. So we still have that going on. On the other hand, I mean, on the positive side, there's more and more activity by adolescents themselves who are pushing back against some of those impossible stereotypes that they're supposed to fit. There was that young girl who picketed in front of Seventeen magazine who said, you know, and got enormous number of support behind it against the Hearst organization to say, we no longer want to have photoshopped imagery at Seventeen magazine. Well, it didn't exactly work out that way, but they agreed to have one page, at least one page of no photoshopping. It's the beginning. Uh, there's uh, Real Girl, um, Girls, the, the um, Lena Dunham HBO series. There's a pushback of her generation. She's the next one year. She's in, I think, her late 20s. There's a group of women saying, we don't want to look like everybody else in TV. And she goes to the extreme of saying, Beauty can come in lots of different forms, and I'm going to you know, display myself completely naked, and I want people to see that that's what I see as beautiful. I think she's done an incredible job trying to push back. You see, we're seeing this uh, in the Dove commercials. Um, I don't know if you've seen them, but they're really yeah, they're trying great. to um, have an initiative of showing models of all different sizes and colors and shapes and 
one of the things I've done since writing uh, my book and my thesis is actually going into the business world and not just one-on-one in, as a psychotherapist, but have an influence as an expert on what women are really wanting today in the cosmetic world, in the fashion world, um, in the skin and hair care businesses, trying to help them understand that too many women are actually insulted by the expectation that they should look like someone other than themselves. The idea of a princess grown up to be, you know, the perfect Barbie doll that grows up to be a woman in their 50s that has no wrinkle and, um, you know, perfectly thick curly hair is actually turning women off. So I'm being met with, not with resistance, I'm hearing these companies say, this is a large market of aging women. There are 77, I think, million baby boomers, the first of which you know, turned 65 you know, about a, a year ago, and there are 10,000 turning 65 every single day for the next 19 years. They have a huge purchasing power, and these companies are listening. So although we're seeing some body image distortions in young kids and eating disorders, we're also seeing young people and companies responding to those young people that say it's enough. We've got to yeah. change. Yeah. And if we as a, you know, authors can empower women one to an- one another to say we've got to make some changes, I feel like we've done a, a real service. Yeah. So uh, let's just say, for example, someone does come in to see you because you said you were doing a lot of consulting, but that you're also still doing quite a bit of oh, yes. therapy. Oh, sure. But that when, when young, a young woman who has, comes into you and sits down and goes, you know, my career path is changing, you know, because of injury or, again, because of their particular age, knowing that they're aging out of that particular uh, sport or whatever it might be, how do you begin with them, or how do you how do you start to engage with them to to really start to look for that inner beauty and those that inner sensuality and those things that really make her the woman that she is? How do how do you begin that process? Interestingly enough, Nancy, I probably approach people whose um, careers centered around their body and beauty just the way I would almost any woman who comes into my practice um, because. Interestingly enough, even if someone's career has focused on it, the reality is most women have thought about their looks in some way or another. So I ask them very directly um, questions around how do they feel about their bodies and what role did it play in their lives. And I listen carefully for did they – this is another thing. Even women who are models who grace the covers of magazines – don't always like who they what they look like. You know, yeah. That's what tells you that beauty truly is your own internal experience, not what other people think of you. But I start yeah. with helping them even feel it's okay to talk about it. Because in many psychotherapy offices, women will tell me, I don't even feel like I can talk about it <laughs> because I feel like it's, it's too superficial. And I start with the conversation of saying, of course your looks matter to you. We've just got to find out how they have mattered to you, what role they played, and how to find a better balance. So, for example, I have in my practice right now a former Olympic uh, medalist who um, was a swimmer. Um, I'm not revealing anything because there are lots of Olympic uh, medalists, but um, for a um, 
big part of her life, uh, being physically in terrific shape was extremely important to her. And she went on later to do quite a number of ads, and, but she's aging out of that. The Olympic medal is beginning to be forgotten. She doesn't look you know, like somebody who's going to be in an ad. But what we're trying to realize for her is that she has so many other qualities that she learned as she was training to be this athlete that if she could use what she had in balance with what she has to mourn, Every woman has to mourn to some extent their attachment to their youthful self. For her, she has to not only mourn the way she once looked and the way she was physically capable of being, but all that it brought to her. For the everyday woman, she might say, well, yeah, my looks never really mattered to me, but I'll say, well, you know, how did you feel when you met your husband? And she says, well, you know, we were, there was chemistry. I said, well, you know, what, how did that work? She said, well, you know, I looked the best I could, or you know, but now I don't look that way. So there's something like that in almost everybody's story. Yeah. And then I, over time, I, I tell them what women who seem to have navigated that transition well, what those women say in common. I find three things seem to over and over again, you know, the, the, the kind of thing, a, a Meryl Streep, but any version of that. Who, those women who seem to have navigated that transition well, they'll say these three things. First, they'll say, my definition of what I felt was attractive has changed over time. I didn't get stuck on one idea of myself. I had a sort of flexibility about it. So what I thought was me that was cute when I was 18, when I'm 30, I saw beauty in being pregnant. Or when I'm 50, I saw it in the kind of confidence I had. And that's a commonality shared among these women who seem to kind of go through the transition. Another one is the voice that speaks to them internally. You know, like when they pass by a reflection of themselves or they look in the mirror, becomes kinder, not more harsh. Women are such critics of themselves that the ones who get through this, they find that the voice that they hear in their head is understanding, empathic. Oh, you know, you know, your hair is thinner, but you know you really have a great smile. Or yeah. they look in the mirror and they say, you may not be able to wear the, the, that kind of tight jean look, but you sure have, um, you know, great legs. You know, something uh-huh. that's kind. And I think women who are critical of themselves have a very hard time. And then the last thing is what I implied before about the swimmer is that all women seem to do better when they balance a continued care in the way they look. In other words, they don't neglect themselves. The right. swimmer who, who gives up and then starts eating donuts and gains 40, 50 pounds, you may say, well, why not? She's not swimming anymore. Actually, it does make her feel good. A, a, yeah. An Olympic swimmer who still keeps in shape um, she tends to feel good, but she has to balance it with developing other aspects of herself. Because if she just counts on the fact that her body gave her rewards and, and reinforcement, she's going to decreasingly feel rewarded in life. So I, she has really to develop... 
Yeah, Vivian, I really, I really like what you said, though, because I was, I was thinking about it, and I think we, I commented on the last time we spoke, is the mourning part, is that there truly is that. I was just thinking about that, and I was thinking, you know, as you were going through the different age groups, is that I was thinking about that. I thought, yeah, there is a certain amount of mourning and, and reflection, you know, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm riding horses now and I'm doing lots of different things. I've always been very physical, but then I also, you know, think about the times that, boy, physically I, I would have been so much more adept. You know, I would have picked up things faster or I would have been doing this better or whatever. But, but yeah, I mean, there, there's, there is that constant reflection, but there's all that, also that comparison I think that women are, we have a very difficult time with is that we compare ourselves to other women well, you know, you're with horseback riding, but with me, you know, I used to be able to stand on my toes and lift my, you know, legs above my head. So what I feel like now is if I can just balance on two feet, I'm pretty happy. Um, I also sometimes joke with people that I'm so glad I finally found a career that I can actually get better at as I age, because yeah. for so long as a dancer, you're always fighting time, and then as a model, you're find, fighting time. But I keep thinking, wow, am I lucky. I can sit in my chair, and even if I can't do all those things I used to do, I actually get better because I'm getting wiser and smarter. So, you know, I think that last piece of it, the third uh, notion of finding a good balance, does require mourning, and mourning... You know, it often happens during menopause, so we get confused. Why are we so sad? You know, the empty nest occurs at the same time. We're often also mourning the uh, passing of our parents, just around that kind of age where, you know, it feels like a lot of loss. I tell women, don't forget you're also letting go of the role you've played in so many people's lives that is attached to you being this very caretaking but, you know, vibrant and uh, able to do everything. And the reality is we have to let that go. And little by little, as we let that go, we replace it with other things. The idea that you're going to be able to do at 70 what you could do at 50 truly is unfair to ourselves. What we can do at 70, we hope, is a lot better and stronger than what our previous generations could do at 70. If you want to compare yourself at all, compare yourself to what your grandmother could do at 70. But trying to compete with a younger woman or our own youthful selves really leaves people feeling sad and empty instead of mourning and moving on, which is very different. Sad, depressed, and stuck is not the same thing as mourning, letting go, and moving on. No, I, I absolutely agree. Yeah, I mean, my bucket list is long, and I think that's kind of what Women Speak has always been about, is women, how, how we want to stay smart and amazing at whatever age we are, and by finding things that can help us do that, either by learning or, or taking on new skills or finding new hobbies or whatever, or reinvention, you know, reinventing ourselves over and over again. And I think that's where women that are really successful with this, with the changes that you're talking about really do well because they're going, you know what, that was then, this is now. This is an opportunity. I know more. I wouldn't go back in any of the years that, that I've been describing. 
you know, because every one of them has been so rich with experience that I couldn't possibly be who I am today without all those things. I try to uh, not be Pollyannish about it, you know, because some women in their 20s and 30s listen to us say, you know, these are the best years of our life, and they sometimes say, oh, come on, you've got to be kidding. And in truth, to many women, once they're past the menopausal shift, they do begin to feel like these are some of the best years of our lives, but and this is where the but that makes them really listen. It's not like these are the best years about the same things that were great for you when you were younger. They're great in a different way. Because if you, really, if you tell them, I feel better now than I ever felt before in all ways, it's just not true. Our bodies don't function the same way. Our physiologically, we can't do some of the things that we did. Our hair is different. Our skin is different. But if you don't compare yourself to those young 20-somethings and instead tell them there's something different and that different is great. I think there's a lot of truth to that. Studies show there's, there's one huge study that they did in 18 different countries on several million people and they said that actually the, the highest level of depression, let's say the, you know, the lowest ebb of mood, came for women in their mid to late 40s. And I'm convinced this has largely to do with their hormones, their hormonal changes, with the children growing up and with their, that, but it peaks, it, I mean, it goes back up. It's like an upside down uh, you. You know, it, yeah. it, the depression is at its highest and then it changes. Once you're past there, actually, in, this is cross-culturally, so it's not just uh, in America. So I think we're on to something. I think women need not fear, be fearful of those changes, they have to adjust to them. And if other women are talking to each other, they'd find that they're feeling that way instead of like, hush, hush, don't talk about menopause because it's like that change of life that means you're you know, over the hill. Not true. <laughs> no, not true at all. Just, a, just another, another mountain to climb and another great view. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Uh, you know, also, I think, I think women, as we get older, too, uh, we have to have a great sense of humor, and I think that's the best part is that we, we're able to look at ourselves and, and truly enjoy ourselves, but at the same time kind of laugh at some of the things that we that yes, some of the definitely. That, that we're, that we're told or some of the things that we say to ourselves. But, uh, mm-hmm. well, I'm, I'm so excited about your part of the book and, and uh, you know, leading women, uh, 20 Women's Secrets to Business, Leadership, and Life is, is coming out in December book launch here November 8th and, and you talk maybe about being able to come that would be wonderful but uh, you know this is a great book because it really are there's 20 women's voices and I think this is what we're talking about women who have who have definitely gone down that path of lots and lots of changes and come out on the other side with lots of knowledge and expertise that they're they're wanting to share with other women and, and people out there. So, well, I'm uh, honored to be part of it, and I hope well, we inspire other women to uh, have similar journeys. And uh, I think if we can we can start the, that path and tell tell women that there's a lot to look forward to, then that's a great message. There there are a lot of, well, there are great things every day. And like I said, the opportunity to meet women like you. Other smart and amazing women has been part of the treasure of, of this journey for me as well. So, right. Vivian, thank you so much. You know, you have so much uh, and things on your website. What is it you want people to know about you, along with being our co-author, things that are coming up in your life that you might want to share with them as well? 
I um, have a column on Huffington Post, so I frequently appear there and on Psychology Today. But probably the best place to learn about the work I'm doing is on my website, uh, which is ziviandiller.com. Um, and look out for the changes we're seeing in the industry because I feel like uh, that reaches actually the most people. Um, there are changes, and I'm hoping that you can hear some of the things that I've talked about with you today. Uh, you can hear it and see it in the advertising world and in the media because it's changing. I really like that, that, you're, that, that the, the uh, cosmetic industry and the, the fashion industry is, li- uh, is listening. They it's are. Serious. They are. Yeah. yeah. We're not all size zeros, and we're not going to ever be probably a size. I never would be, never was, but never will be. But uh, And really they're finally to- getting it. Yeah. Smart, well, it was really good to talk to you. Thank you so much. And I You're look very welcome. To- and you have a wonderful day. Thank okay. you. Okay.